0: you guys some of you love this place I'm at right now some of you hate this place I'm at right now which is beautiful because it gives me a job but the thing about it is sometimes you can just get a head coach and talk to both parties and we're actually going to do that on the show tonight in a little while Mario Cristobal is going to join us for about as extended a conversation as I've had I mean big game Dane's just offset I haven't talked to him for an extended 50 minute period of time in my life and yet the head coach got him and yet the head coach of miami did it for us tonight so we're going to do that and we're going to talk about a whole lot more We're jam-packed we're high atop the university of miami but also we've got some other things to talk about talent you know that t-word everyone throws around we got out talented they get more talent sometimes i think some people are kind of full of it when they talk about that I just want to talk about the real 15 most talented rosters in college football tonight and the message that the blue chip ratio is sending us. Recruiting is on fire. Those of you who grew up on December and January being the heart of recruiting season, it's now. It's June. It's July. This building we're in is crawling or will be in about the next 24 hours with elite prospects from all around the country. Maybe, by the way, one of the biggest official visit weekends in Miami history coming up. Going to talk about that in a whole lot more later on. Bold predictions are back tonight. And as I said, we'll have Mario Cristobal on the show for a, quite a while, in a little while. Waynesboro, PA is tuned in. Key West, Florida. Hampstead, North Carolina. Folsom, California. Hey, I don't know. You live your life the way you want to, but if you haven't been following us on the socials the last few days, at Late Kick Josh, there is so much what we would call ancillary content out there, which is just a fancy word for more that we don't show you on air, that you're missing. I mean, um, it's really good. Like even my mom follows. So why in the world would you not be following? At Lake Kick Josh. Okay, let's dive into this because we got a lot to get to tonight. It's going to be a really long show, uh, but a really jam-packed show because there is no off-season around here. You know how a lot of people talk about talent all the time? We definitely need the pieces to win. Now, talent doesn't guarantee you wins. Like Mima always said, a good foundation does not guarantee a mansion, but no mansion is built without a foundation. Thank you, Mimo. And she was right about that. And likewise, with college football rosters, not every... Five star upon five star equals eventual national championship. But yet every national championship winning team, you look back and you can take away certain characteristics from them. And Bud Elliott does the whole blue chip ratio thing every year, which we're about 72 hours post-release of for 2023. But I haven't gotten to speak to you since that came out. And so I always like to look at it. And there are some familiar faces at the top. And sometimes there are some new arrivals and maybe some that just fell off the cliff. Florida State's not in this thing, for example. And yet they're one of the favorites in this conference, in the ACC. They're, they're a fringe playoff contender this year. So what does this all mean? Like how much talent do you really have to have, according to history, to win a national championship? Well, the blue chip ratio, if you're listening on pod, I'll explain it to you. If you're watching, I have it on the screen right here for you. It's just the teams that have recruited more blue chip players than not. So we're looking at your roster, four and five star players. Do you have more of those? Then you have players rated below that. It's like the most simple formula ever. But history shows that if you don't, you're not winning a national championship, or at least you haven't. I'm sure there could always be one in the future. Like I said, no one, and I know what the comment section is going to look like, but I'll repeat it anyway no one is suggesting that this is the end all be all and this will be your top 15 at the end of the year. It's nothing like that. But history has shown us that having a roster that meets a certain line in the sand is a prerequisite to winning a national championship. Okay. So, first thing that stood out to me when I was looking at this this week is Clemson's still right there. In fact, Texas A&M's right there. I think Clemson being there may not shock a ton of you, although there's a feel out there in the neighborhood that they may have fallen off a little bit. In terms of just raw talent, they haven't fallen off all that much at all. Now, what you do with that talent, how it's developed, is it dispersed evenly over key position groups? IE wide receiver maybe not so much lately although they've had quite a haul at wide receiver over the past week on the recruiting trail. We'll talk about that later in the show. But look at Clemson there, 72% of their roster made up of four and five star. And likewise, Texas A&M, it's the fourth highest team graded on here. Bama's in like another universe. Ohio State tops in the Big Ten. Georgia's there at 77%. And then you just like drop your pen and you say, why did they put A&M's logo there? Because Texas A&M is at 77% or 73% right now. So then that makes you stroke your chin. And you just ask yourself, what are they doing? You want to know why I talk about there being no patience? I'm the one that always preaches patience. There's no patience there because you got a, a coaching staff, you got a head coach over half a decade into his tenure with allegedly one of the most talented rosters in America. And the reason that I say allegedly sarcastically is because it's true. Those kids that are on a and roster, they all had offers from Georgia. They all had offers from Florida State and Miami and Ohio State. So everyone wanted them. So so the the whole country wasn't fooled by those kids. They just haven't put them together and haven't developed them. And also, offensively, they've been operating from a playbook that was developed in the um, Depression era. And so they look to rectify that with the hiring of Bobby Petrino, which will be ultra interesting because it's the exact same thing Clemson just did. They just went and got Garrett Riley from TCU. If you want, like, one of the big storylines for the storyline crowd out there to watch— It's look at the OC situation in College Station, look at the OC situation in Clemson, South Carolina, and then understand if one of them goes like that. If one of them goes bang, the ingredients are already there. So we understand what it takes to cook. You got a shelf full of it. You got a cabinet full of it in two places that underachieved mightily offensively last year. What could happen? You lose five games by six points or less if you're a And M last year. What could happen if all of a sudden you bump up your offensive production by like fifteen percent? I don't know. I mean, I guess math would indicate a lot of close wins all of a sudden. I also look at Bama, and it's really, really a fun time of year right now. If you're me, because all I have to do is just talk in the mic and say, "Well, I look at the six highest-rated classes of all time. All time. Repeat for emphasis. Three of them are baked into Bama's roster right now." and yet the streets are telling me they've kind of fallen off a little bit. Roster's not quite what it used to be, and I'm like, I could listen to you. I could look at what the calculator says. I could trust my instincts, and I think what a lot of people are seeing is they're seeing the quarterback position in a state of flux, and then they're kind of casting that shade across that entire roster, and meanwhile I look, and they got like half a dozen five-star rated players just at the edge position. That's not a made-up stat, by the way. That's reality. And I look across the rest of the, The roster and the thing about it is even the transfer portal has not eroded this. In fact, I mean, Bud put it in the article. You can find this on 247sports.com right now. If you factor in the kids who have transferred out of Alabama and you then adjust this blue chip rating for transfers, they're still at 88%. Let me translate that for you, kids. If you take the dudes that Bama signed that aren't on campus anymore and you remove them from the roster, they still have a higher blue chip ratio then the next closest team does without removing their departures in the transfer portal. And so Alabama comes into this year. It's always a really fun time of year when people doubt them nationally for me because I'm not foolish enough to do it. I may not pick them to win the title, but I'm certainly not going to doubt them. We've got a bold prediction on the show later tonight where one of you claims they're going to go eight and four. So that's always fun for me, really fun for me because I know better. Florida State's not on this. This is to me the most interesting takeaway. Florida State, even with all the work they've done in the transfer portal, their blue chip ratio right now is at 41%. History says that's not good enough to win a national championship. Vegas odds put them right in the thick of that college football playoff race. Any given day, they're either the favorite or the co-favorite or a close second to win the ACC. I think right now they're the odds on favorite to do it according to Caesars. And so you have to ask yourself, can they or can't they, obviously, but then what do these metrics me, And I always have to go back to that thing that I tell you all the time, and that is, don't be married to this whole cannot thing when we really just live in a world maybe of haven'ts. No one has. We have not seen someone break through the old blue chip ratio wall. Doesn't mean they couldn't. But at the same time, as much as Florida State's roster, as much as their starting 22 may be void of massive question marks, We also understand the quality depth you have to have to make it at that level. Now, we're talking about winning a championship, not talking about pushing to win 10 games. So rarefied air is what we're talking about here. You get in that scenario, and you understand TCU found this out, for instance. You understand that they're twos, whoever you're playing against. There's not a big drop-off, especially we go to national championship games all the time. We go to playoff games. You look at the fronts, and you look at the rotational guys they bring in, and there are twos. That you look at and you say, what's the difference? Fractions, that's the difference. And sometimes they roll three deep on some of these teams like Georgia or Bama when they get in those championship games. And they also get December to get a lot of those guys healthy. So it's a pretty incredible thing. So anyway, I'm saying all that to say, is that where Florida State is? That's what we're going to play the games for. That's what God made fall for. But they're not on this list. Even with the adjustment for transfer portal, they're not on the list. So nothing would have to give there. Oregon's a powerhouse recruiter. They are that. Uh, the staff that's here right, Mario Cristobal's here right now. He took them to another level when he was at Miami. It was so, when he was at Oregon, it was so imperative. When he came to Miami, that they got someone and plugged him in that understood how to keep that thing rolling. And Dan Lanning's done that, and his staff has done that. And as long as they harness the resources out there, they're not going anywhere. That's why when I hear those rumors about maybe Oregon to the Big Ten, I say. Well, they fit seamlessly already. Uh, they are, even when you count for USC, they're the best recruiting power on the West Coast right now. Lincoln Riley and company could change that, uh, but it hadn't changed yet. And Oregon's not slowing down. So, so someone's going to have to catch them. But I, I listen to those rumors and I'm not one to root for the Big Twelve or the Pac-12's implosion. Pac-12 paid after all. But I, I think about what it would look like if I snapped my fingers and Oregon was just in the Big Ten tomorrow. Outside of Ohio State, they'd be the best recruiter there. Do you understand that? Does everyone get that? Like Penn State's pretty good right now. Michigan's pretty good right now. Oregon's a little bit better than pretty good right now. And they're in the Pacific Northwest, uh, separated from virtually every talented player in America. And they are, like I said, so you can save you some time in the comments, harnessing the resources at their disposal, which is the name of the game now. We do it at Pate State. They do it at Oregon, same way. That's the name of the game, and they're doing that, and they're keeping themselves in the blue-chip ratio. In fact, I would probably not be surprised if uh, they ticked ahead of that 70% barrier before too much longer. Uh, one more thing I wanted to mention to you before we move on. Uh, Colin, all the way back in Nashville, bless his heart, could you just do me a favor and throw up the initial list right quick of the top 15? I, I know you guys probably noticed this, but if you didn't, I want you to take special note. Of the fact that OU and Texas are right there in the seven and eight positions, they'll be in the SEC in about five minutes. So I had stats and info count, and it turns out, if you include OU and Texas, eight of these top 15 teams here are SEC teams. That's not a surprise, Josh. They recruit different level in the SEC. Well, I know that. You don't have to tell me that. I think I have to tell some of the more casual-minded amongst us sometimes that you're not always what your record says you are. It's one of the big lies in college football. A win is not always a win. A loss is not always a loss. It's one of the other big lies that is told in college football. It's a pro sports mentality that bleeds over into college football. So I want you to picture this. Fast forward, it's 2026. OU and Texas are in the SEC. You draw six out of those eight teams on your schedule. This is going to be a common occurrence, by the way. Like someone down there any given year is playing six or maybe seven of those teams. Not all of them are going to be good record-wise. It's mathematically impossible. There aren't enough wins to go around because they all play each other, even if it's only eight times a year. They all play each other. So my question to you is this. If you run up on Texas A&M, but they're tracking for a seven and five season, does it really make the players any less athletically gifted when you play them on a Saturday? Does it make your training room any less full on that Sunday morning following that game? Did it make the collisions any less violent and brutal? The answer is no. But some people would lead you to believe that because that team is tracking for seven and five, it's the exact same as if you would have faced a team in the MAC that's tracking for seven and five. Why? Because you are what your record says you are. That committee, if they're not led in a more proper direction, would interpret that game as nothing more than a win over a team that you should have skull-drugged. You should have, have body-bagged them. Why? Because they're only 7-5. and five. They're tracking for 7-5. and five. But the difference is they got two corners that are going to go day one of the draft. They likewise have four guys in the two deep on defense, especially on the front, where this matters the most, that would fit that same description. That left tackle and that right guard are going to be day two selections, and all the while... I'm watching it because I go to some of these games and I see some of these teams that are tracking for a pretty average year record wise. And I say, first off, I cannot believe that that group of athletes is not going to accomplish more. But on any given Saturday, it also doesn't matter because those rosters that are chock full of those future Sunday guys, those are still future Sunday guys, even if the team they're on is not putting up a more impressive number in the win column. So when you hear me talk about the SEC, Go into nine games versus staying at eight games in conference play. I want them to go to nine. And I looked at this and it just reinforced my belief man, I'd love to see more of those teams play each other. My hang up is not whether you can make a bowl game, don't care. My hang up is not whether ESPN pays you a dime more money because I don't care because it doesn't go in my pocket. But I do care that that committee, four teams or 12 teams, properly understands how to interpret strength of schedule. Because if we get into a world in the future where Oregon State is 11 and 1, and LSU sitting nine and three with three point losses to Bama and uh, Texas, and I got a committee member saying, "Well, we, what do you expect us to do? Compare a nine and three team to an eleven and one team?" I will toss the laptop in a lake somewhere because I can't stand that. And that's a lot of the talk that happens in this sport in December sometimes. So the blue chip ratio, if you want to look at it again, it's on 247 sportscom Always really interesting that FSU conundrum that some of you are going to find yourselves in. Maybe me. Maybe I'll pick them to win the ACC. Who knows? But if you're picking them to do more than that, you're picking the Noles to go playoff, maybe national championship. It's not that it's impossible. It's just that they're going to have to do something that no other team's ever done. When I was a youth in West Central Georgia, I remember December because my birthday's in December. But I also remember December because Christmas was in December but not necessarily the Christmas you're thinking about. I'm all about December 25th. I celebrate Christmas, always have, always will. But that's when official visit season started, and then January is really when official visit season kicked in because you had February coming up. That was National Signing Day, right? And so, I mean, this until about 10 years ago, six years ago, five years ago, that was really the way it was. And then all of a sudden, the recruiting calendar started to shift by people who never really had to suffer the ramifications of that shift. And now all of a sudden, the recruiting calendar is sped up. And we have June and July and buildings like the one I'm sitting in right now, all of a sudden when people would have gone on vacation a decade ago are inflating balloons and they're getting fields ready and they're getting features ready and they're getting all sorts of different things ready because they have a visitor's list coming in, the likes of which would make you blush. Not in December or January, but in June or July. And recruiting right now is on fire and i still don't think that our industry has adjusted enough to understand that you need to be taking june and july as serious now as you used to in january we do though i can't control what everyone else does so i wanted to talk about those dudes clemson got verbally committed just a little precursor a little note here i know a verbal commitment does not equal a signing on the dotted line of one's name but i also leave an open wager available for anyone to take out there before you go in the comment section and say nothing's official to signing day, put money on it. You can take any class that we're talking about here, and if you don't think that 90% of the kids who are verbally committed to a class will stick, then I will match $1,000 to a charity of your choice. No one has stepped up yet. People always love to get defense mechanism minded and say, oh, that doesn't matter. Nothing ever matters. It matters a whole lot. You get verbal commitments, it matters a whole lot because the numbers say they stick. And there will be exceptions to the rule, and those will be thrown in the comment section. But don't worry about the exceptions. The rule is you're getting verbal commitments this time of year. Largely, recent history says they're going to stick. So anyway, Clemson has been bad at receiver. By their standards, they've been bad. They won national championships with racehorse receivers. And lately, they have not had that. And so Dabo Swinney made a move at coordinator, offensive coordinator, but they're also making moves at that position. So since I've been down here, They've landed Sammy Brown, who's a five-star linebacker. But they also went and got two top 200 kids at receiver. One of them is Bryant Wisco, who's like a top 10 player nationally. That's a five-star from Texas. T.J. Moore is a four-star wide receiver from Florida. Very competitive recruitments, okay? And those are guys that have the characteristics, at least, that they haven't had in that room. They've just had a lot of size, and it's been like five of the same guy. Watched him play Georgia a couple of years ago, watched them warm up, and the receiver group just all looked like the same guy. Really physically impressive. And if you line them up at outside linebacker, I'd be ready to go to war with them. Receiver, though, uh, there was no separation, no explosivity. You've kind of watched them, so you've seen what we're talking about. They're looking to rectify that. Clemson recruiting has been on a roll lately. And that was as soon as I got off plane down here. Turned it back on. They they had probably landed two kids just as I had been in the air. Clemson's rolling. They got a good class. Looking for more. No one's class is complete right now. They got the 8th ranked class in the 24-7 sports. Team recruiting rankings and an average player grade of 91.6. That average player grade, uh, my brother Steve Wiltfong always loves to point out as one of the key metrics there, even more so maybe than total guys taken or where you're ranked in the top 10, top 15. Southern Cal, back in the Pete Carroll era, again, for the college-age crowd, let me tell you what used to happen. What used to happen is they would choose a weekend, and they would just take all the kids they wanted. It's not been like that so much lately for USC. In fact, in some cases, they've had to wait for other teams to take that weekend and then take what's left over, even in their own state, which is tough. It's not what USC was used to. So they just had a Pete Carroll kind of week, is my point there. And they took five commits within a 24-hour period. And everyone looked around and said, wow, is this the way it's going to be here again? Um, Early returns say yes, at least as long as Lincoln Riley's there. They got eight commits, number 21 class in the country. Ignore the national rankings right now. That's going to fluctuate by the hour. But they were all offensive line or defense. So it wasn't just a lot of running backs, wide receivers. They've got quarterback taken care of for like the next half millennium. But they took a kid out of Atlanta, uh, Fountain, 6'5, 240s, and Edge. I know uh, because I had some coaches text me when he went to USC. That was a guy that was very coveted around the Southeast and elsewhere. That was a national recruitment. And like I said at the beginning, not over. People won't stop recruiting that kid, but to land him, at least a verbal from him was a big deal. And they've got six states represented so far out of those eight commits. So you're used to talking about them as having just a need to lock down Southern California, which would be wonderful. But as we've noted many times on this program, it's not that easy. It's not paint by numbers like that. They don't produce enough line of scrimmage talent in the state of California right now. And so you, you could be 15 deep at each position in the wide receiver room. If you don't have time to throw, it really doesn't matter, guys. So they've kind of taken the national approach as needed. I'm in Coral Gables right now. I'm at Miami. And there is an energy about the official visit weekend they're about to have here, the likes of which I don't know that I've been around. And we're frequently in the halls of Bama, Georgia, all the big programs. And for good reason because I'm, I'm talking to Wilt Fong earlier today, I'm talking to some of our national guys, and just the names we know is like a, a hootst of elite recruiting profiles in the top 247 right now. You got four of the top 10 players in the country that we know of that'll be on campus this weekend. You got six of the top 35. Those are elite numbers. Those are elite official visit numbers for the best of the best. So I know... And I'll address it later when we talk to Mario Cristobal in person. I know there are some of you out there, because I read my DMs, that do not believe the talent level that once existed on this campus could ever be here again. Because the desire to stay home will never exist to the degree that it used to. First thing I will tell you, and I'll let him tell you later, is it's not just locking down South Florida. Not all these dudes who are visiting this weekend, not all the elite dudes who will be on their commit list come December are from South Florida kind of like we talked about with USC. You want to lock down home state, but you have to regionally and nationally go about things as need be. And the second thing I would say is, and this is an open-ended question for anyone, define what it takes to win in college football, whatever that is for you, and then tell me why they can't do that here or tell me what they lack here. And I'm talking about not in terms of currently existing, but in terms of potential. What does it take to have that they don't have the ability to have here. They obviously once had it. So so what's changed? What's evolved about the sport? What eroded away from this place? My answer is nothing. I've already told you that. So my challenge to you is to prove me wrong there. Uh, Watch the ticker this weekend. We'll be on Sunday night. I would probably expect that we will talk about this again on the Sunday night show. How about Wisconsin? Who in the world goes from Coral Gables to Madison? Well, we do. Uh, Because Luke Fickle's in town, and all of a sudden, I've had more people mention Wisconsin recruiting to me, like those two words back to back, in the past month than I have my entire life combined. And for good reason. Uh, they've got a big weekend coming up themselves, but also they're, they just landed four over the past week and are trending for several more. It's not going to be a, a who's who of landing kids from Florida, Georgia, Texas. They're not going to go in there and beat Texas, Alabama, Georgia, etc. for those players. But what they are doing is they're taking some of the best of the best from the Midwest, and then they're also going to sprinkle pieces from the state of Florida and elsewhere. So it's really interesting because when that staff came in there, you know, Luke Fickle developed pound for pound about as well as anyone in America had when they were at Cincinnati. You watched that team go to the playoff, then you watched how many guys they sent to the NFL, and I guarantee you those names that went in the first and second round of the draft were not names by and large that we were talking about three and four years prior on signing day. So he did a heck of a job developing and I don't doubt they will do that there as well because a lot of the same guys that were with him in Cincinnati are with him now in Madison. But also, let's just be real about it. They probably have the ability to recruit a different caliber athlete as well. And that's happening right now. And verbals are happening right now. Number 15 class, got 12 commits. Like I said, big weekend coming up. It's just assumed Wisconsin will never do anything. It's just assumed they have to TCU their way to a big year. And it's probably assumed TCU is better positioned in Wisconsin. I assume that. All things equal, I would assume a program like TCU, not a perennial powerhouse by any stretch, not a, a signing day mainstay. They're probably better positioned geographically, if nothing else, than Wisconsin. Uh, Luke Fickle apparently begs to differ. And so watch them as well, because they're a team in the Big Ten not named Ohio State Michigan or Penn State that's starting to make a move. Uh, Florida has had big visitors in. Got an eye on them. Got an eye on Auburn and Georgia this weekend. A lot of the SEC schools just have big visitors list rolling through every weekend. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is certainly a list of teams that I'm watching. I mean, the, the, the goings on specifically at Clemson and now Miami this weekend, it's stuff I watch because I have I've told you that the Pac 12 is not the most underachieving conference in America, nor is the Big 12, because they got a little more baked in excuse. The ACC has been the most disappointing underachieving conference in America, because unlike the other two, You don't have the excuse of being talent starved over here. Clemson's taking care of business over the past decade. Nobody in Virginia has kept their end of the bargain. Uh, Miami, Florida State, they have not kept their end of the bargain. And the potential is there. So I'm constantly glued to it. If we're being real with ourselves, there are programs in the Big 12 that have no hope like that. There are programs in the Pac-12 that have no hope like that. you got half a dozen of them in this conference that haven't followed through on potential that have the hope. And any given signing day, it could change. Academy Sports and Outdoors, not hope, results. They deliver results for us. They, in part, allow us to go on the road and do things like this. But also, that nice, shiny studio we have back in Nashville. Producer Jesse, Director Colin Bradley's probably wandering around there somewhere. We get to have those nice things because of Academy Sports and Outdoors. But it's not just, it's not a guy named Academy. Academy. It's an entire company named Academy. They have things you need. A lot of you right now, maybe like us back in Nashville, are trending towards, I don't know, a slow-pitch softball playoff run. Can't do it without equipment. A lot of you are in spring seven-on-seven football right now. I know how important those cones are. I know how important that, that fourth and fifth wristband is. I know how important it is. They've got it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And also, they've got our back. Like We're not a NASCAR. We don't have 37 stickers on this show. We've had one big sticker on this show, and it's because they've come through, not in part, but in whole. And if you can't get to one in person, and they're opening up new ones every day, it seems like, Academy.com has your hookup. Military first responders, you show up between now and July 4th, and you present that ID, an additional discount for you, and free in-store pickup for online deliveries at Academy.com. I think within two hours, so that's really, really rapid. So we appreciate them as always. It's that time again got a Mario Cristobal feature coming up that you will not want to miss. You won't want to miss this either. Colin, here's your end point. The bold predictions are getting not too bold for my taste, but they're getting really close to the cliff. Because some of you, I think, are skating on thin ice with hot blades, and you know that you don't actually have to bet money on this. But you claim you would bet money on these predictions. Okay, so, like, I'm going to paper pop the first one. Like, this one's that far out there. Um. First bold prediction: Bama wins eight games or fewer this year. That's for my buddy Big Game Boomer. I would challenge Big Game Boomer to make one of his top 100 lists of boldest predictions. It's going to be tough. I don't think that Excel format he uses is going to fit all the verbiage in there, brother. This is a 9.25 on the boldness scale. Every year since 2007, that dude right there, Nick Saban, even in his down years, has won double digits at least. So this would be this would be one of those. Have nots. It's not quite cannot. It could happen. Their over-under win total is 10. It's not the craziest statistical suggestion in the world to say, oh, maybe just maybe just eight wins this year. But yet it is Alabama. So it is kind of crazy to picture. I don't think folks understand. I'm talking about our college age kids and what they remember and don't remember. It also should dawn on you that if if you're in Tuscumbia, Alabama, home for the summer, and you're in college, even if you're at Auburn, I don't care. You don't know them as struggling. You don't know who Mike Shula is. You don't know what the, the 13 seconds of the Mike Price era was in Tuscaloosa. You have no concept of this. You only know them as a winner. So, too, do a lot of their fans. Do you want to see a, like a stage five freakout? Just, just like tossing burning couches over cliffs. Like Mount Chihaw, I think, is one of the highest points in Alabama. You want to see like a rumble on Mount Cheaha. This team wins eight games? shut it down. At K-Ivy, shut it down. Um, they're not ready for it. They're ill-prepared. It's like looking at California in the 70s when it comes to earthquakes. They're ill-prepared to, to go nine and three, much less eight and four. So, you know, prayers up emoji that this doesn't happen for my friends in Alabama. I guess if it were to happen, quarterback play doesn't develop I suppose that the run game's not physical enough. Defensive back is still as leaky as it was at times last year. We're looking at footage of the LSU game. Uh, still no help, still no help. Okay, finally help, and he scores anyway. Yeah, that stuff happened a lot against them last year. Jalen Hyatt had a, was it a quarter mile or half mile receiving? He had a really big day in Knoxville against Alabama. Maybe that stuff happens again. It's a, it's a hard time for me to envision eight and four. That's all I'm saying. So, love big game boomer. like, like Love the center, hate the sin. Love the predictor, don't like the prediction as much. That's a nine and a quarter. What about Baylor? Let's go out to the Big 12. On the card sports, Baylor plays in the Big 12 championship game. Don't have to win it. I respect these kind of predictions because you, you ride the fence a little bit more. And I respect that because I do it all the time. Baylor playing in the Big 12 championship. On one hand, you may look at it and say, well, they've, they've got the sixth best odds in the conference this year. but then the folks who have watched this conference over the past two years would probably come back and say, uh, yeah, Kansas state and TCU were sixth and seventh in the odds last year, the year before Baylor, Oklahoma state sixth and seventh in the odds. So, I mean, if you believe in that sort of like black magic, probably better to be situated in the middle of the pack than it is at the top. And if that's the case, prayers up for Texas. Cause there they are parked at the top yet again. And there comes that money yet again. And I'm, I got the model in my hand right here. The model loves Texas, yet again. I'm going to get in trouble, yet again. I can't get in trouble, but I'm going to because I'm kind of starting to feel them as well. Baylor is replacing a multitude of offensive linemen. I think four starting offensive linemen do have a returning quarterback, but but returning production, not such a favorable stat for the Bears. They're 90th in the country. They play Texas and Kansas State back-to-back, and it's a tough part of their schedule. They do dodge Oklahoma. Dave Aranda wouldn't call it dodging, but I don't have to speak like he does. So it's dodging. They do dodge them. I I think they play, relatively speaking, one of the softer Big 12 schedules. And I need to remind you of this as well. Sometimes you condition your mind to think, oh, you you lose two conference games. That's it. Not in this conference. To play for the conference title game, not necessarily. You've had that in the conference title game several years out there. So two losses, it doesn't automatically mean slam the doors. What about the college football playoff in general? This one, to me, is not quite as bold. Like I I was looking at Producer Jesse's grades that he put on it. He and I actually agreed on this one. From Columbus, Ohio, Ace said college football playoff teams are coming from four different conferences this year. The last three seasons, we've had overlap. So this has not happened, the last three seasons. In 2020, you had Notre Dame and Clemson. That was the once upon a time when Notre Dame decided to join the ACC for a minute. 2021, Georgia-Bama. 2022, Michigan-Ohio State. But five of the last nine years, it has happened. You have had four conferences represented. And since this is the last year of the four-team field, I hear a lot of applause out there. You see, I'm not clapping. You probably need the Pac-12 to come through. Maybe a Notre Dame comes through. You probably need the Big 12 to come through. If they can do that, you're going to get at least one from the SEC. You're going to get at least one from the Big Ten. How How do you prevent multiples coming in? Spoiler alert, you never will again. So if you guys wanted to keep them out, this was the best bet of a format. But I digress. You guys must just love that incestuous playoff model that much. I'm all for it. Be my guest. This is a seven and a half on the boldness scale for me, though. Not so bold. It's happened several times. And I think there's just enough good quarterback play out there in the Pac-12 maybe to make that happen. I think there, there could be just enough in that Longhorn logo this year to make that happen. These are not official predictions. Lastly. And I was unaware of this stat. But lastly, uh, Chris from Ackworth, Georgia, hit us up and said, the University of Florida's current streak of 423 consecutive games with a score will end this year. So Chris is just flat out saying goose egg at some point is going to be put up by Florida. 1988 is the last time the Gators got shut out. 16 to nothing against Auburn. Who could forget that game? Uh, Graham Mertz is the quarterback there, okay? So, Producer Jesse does some digging today, and, and he comes up with this stat. Close your ears in Gainesville. Graham Mertz was held under 20 points nine times in his two-year stint as a starter at Wisconsin. Not the best of news. He was never shut out, though, so there's some good news. Uh, they have the lowest odds in the SEC East. Bad news. They face five of the top 20 defenses in the preseason s and also bad news. However, there is no skill in predicting shutouts. So I'm going to call this a nine just on principle. And it even being that low shows a little trepidation. You can kind of hear it in my voice. It'll get a little softer when I talk about Florida. Uh, There are some things I want, like there's some, some brands that I would love. Financially and selfishly, it would be good for us if they were. We'll see. That Graham Mertz being held under 20, nine times, this is it's not Sean Clifford, guys. He hadn't started four, five, or six years. He's, he's started two years up there. So no bueno there. That is your bold prediction segment for this evening here. I got to tell you something. There's a lot of equipment around me right now. You can't really see it. There are a lot of people, and there are a lot of equipment pieces around me. Fancy lights. It takes a lot to light the forehead without overly glossing the forehead. And we've got a lot of equipment here. and to to produce that equipment, you have to have means of transportation. And our friends in South Florida at Good Greek Moving came through for us. We had, we had one of our, our really, really close personal friends in sales get in touch with them, and they came through and said, what do you need? And we said, a really big truck. And they delivered, literally, as you see on the screen right now, and if you're listening on podcast, just imagine a KISS concert going on the road, and that's basically what it looks like. And our friends came through uh, with Shining Colors. I tell you that because I would strongly encourage you guys, give them a look. I mean, th- they are they are a one-stop shop for pretty much all relocation needs. Now, you may just need to move a couch. We needed to move like a small, small army's worth of equipment, uh, but they take out the middleman, okay? They provide relocation systems. They've got your insurance taken care of. So you take away a lot of the worry. It's always good to take away a middleman. And Good Greet Moving has been there for us, I can tell you, every step of the way throughout this entire trip. And uh, it's one of those definite checkbox we'll use again. But also, trust is the factor there. All of us have moved. I know you guys have. I know I have. And the trust factor, and as you listen to people in South Florida talk, because they are the official moving provider of the Miami Hurricanes, among several of the other teams down here, it's the trust factor. You only get to let someone down once as a moving company. Uh, Good Greek, I will put my stamp on this. Look at that truck on the bottom of the screen. They will not let you down. With a graphical truck like that, how could you possibly be let down? And so we appreciate those guys because it would have been very, very tough or would have taken multiple trips, should I say, to get this equipment down here without them. So we came down here for a reason. Always good to be on the road. If you're not going to have an off-season, why in the world would you stick around in Nashville in the middle of Bachelorette season? Just a losing proposition, even though soundproof windows cannot prevent all of that from coming through. So we get on the road, and we head down to Miami, and our buddy Cam, just behind the camera right here, he welcomes us in. Mario Cristobal and company welcome us in. Probably better than we would have been treated in our home office anyway, and that's not necessarily a knock on all the folks in Nashville, just maybe a couple. Um, And, you know, they're, they're in a house that's so nice tonight that it doesn't matter that it's a shot at them. But we came down here to talk with Mario Cristobal because there was a lot that went wrong last year that they don't shy away from. There were a lot of people, candidly, that aren't here anymore that were here last year that they don't shy away from talking about. And so instead of me just running my mouth and talking about it, I wanted to have him on the show. And I wanted to do it face to face instead of the old FaceTime, Skype, Zoom thing. And we did it. We recorded this yesterday. We're about to play it for you now. And this is a very, very extended conversation that goes in-depth on a lot of different fronts. And it's so vintage South Florida. You'll hear a lightning delay siren go off. You'll hear thunder in the background. You'll hear rain on top of the facility. And all the while, you'll hear a head coach under a lot of pressure this year, embracing the pressure. This is our one-on-one with Mario Cristobal. Take a look. State speaker series is in Coral Gables Florida Josh paid alongside Miami headman Mario Cristobal kind enough to open up the entire facility we felt more at home here than we feel in Nashville so <laughs> so first off appreciate it secondly it's June some some of the more casual minded out there would call this the off season we don't really use that word because there's a ton of buzz in the building right now I mean just describe for folks who really don't get to see behind the scenes first off What the energy is like, you're entering the heart of recruiting season. Mm -hmm. You got summer workouts happening that are player led. You got a lot of street and conditioning stuff happening. Like, what is the vibe when you walk into the office right now?
1: Well, it's strong. It's a lot of real momentum, genuine momentum, because, you know, we just uh, signed the best class in our history. And we returned a core of really strong minded, tough, high character guys that that get it. You know, and I think uh, we all know the month of June has become a beast in college football right there is no rest I mean you're going seven days a week and at least that's what it amounts to over here I'm sure for most places so you like you mentioned you have player workouts going on you've got your prospect camps you've got your youth league camps it just doesn't stop so there's there's a lot of different kinds of energy going on but it's all it's all about like the hard work part it's all about community give back work academic obligations it's a lot of work but also there's there's a feeling of man let's Let's go, let's keep pushing this thing because right now we've, we feel like we have a, a really good group of guys in the building that, that get it. Now
0: what's funny is like public doesn't get to see this, mm-hmm. but I stood right up on a railing just off camera here and I, I watched you shake like a thousand kids hands yesterday. No bathroom break, so you, you soldiered through it. I mean, <laughs> it's nice though when you, you get to open these doors up and you get a lot of the youth camps and youth sure. for our participation from, from down here, but you just talked about that signing class. I don't want to gloss over that. Like, We ranked them number seven in the country at 24-7 sports, but sometimes from the outside, yeah, I see the stars, I see the rankings, but those are numbers to me. I didn't scout the players. I didn't recruit them. You did. You had them in the building, Mm -hmm. and it was really the first full cycle that you guys got. What struck me first and foremost when we got here a couple of days ago is how much energy there is in the building, specifically about the true freshman class, which goes a long way to me in validating that, at least from the so far point of view, you guys feel like you really hit on that class. So, I mean, walk me through it. You got a couple of freshman tackles I see out here who look like space aliens, and they—I don't even know if they're legal adults yet. So, so what did you just sign?
1: I mean, it was—it was at the forefront of task at hand. Now, you know, when you when you take on a job, and especially, it's—I guess nothing is too late in the cycle. But when you take it on at that point in time, you've got to assess where the program is, right? And in college football, you're either arriving at a new place because a place that flourished and moved on or because it needs work, it needs repair. And certainly Miami was a place that needed repair. You know, for, for decades, Miami had dominated the NFL draft. And in essence, when you dominate the NFL draft, you have dominated National Signing Day. So analyzing it right away, as a staff, we felt that we had to put in a lot of work to make sure that the culture that was brought in matched up the types of players that we're recruiting and the types of players that are in the building. So it's almost a three-pronged attack on this stuff. And so we went right at it, and the line of scrimmage was at a premium. And uh, you saw, you know, the aliens you referred to, um, they, they do have birth certificates and social <laughs> security numbers, you know, <laughs> albeit, you know, it's—they uh, are they really are unique not only because of their stature but because of their ability, their capacity to handle, like, large workloads and to push and ironically you know you expect a freshman class to sit back and wait for a leader to arise among them or whatnot and the alphas are being alphas they are doing a really good job pushing and we've recruited them for a long time and we were very real we were very very honest we said look we uh we're super excited we're building a championship full, uh, football program rebuilding a championship football program and it's It didn't happen overnight where, you know, things had gotten to where they were. So it's not going to be an overnight fix, but we need tough-minded individuals that will not flinch, will not blink when things are going to get tough. Because at first, like anything else that has to be rebuilt, there's some painful steps that you cannot skip. So we went right at it. We stuck with that. That has never changed. So they took on, you know, the, I would say the honor of becoming a Miami Hurricane, and they have not disappointed uh, I mean, they eat more than any group of human beings I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. The food bill is through the roof right now. But their energy, the, the extra time put in, you saw a couple guys shooting out the jugs machines earlier today. They, they, they're football junkies. And myself, our staff, I want to be around people where this is the thing. It is the priority, you know, and so,
0: so far, so good. You're talking about installing the right mindset. You inherit what you inherit when you take over a program. What percentage of the roster had the right mindset when you got here a year and a half, two years ago?
1: Well, I mean, it's hard to tell. Um, I mean, it's, it is a clash of cultures, I can say that. Like, you know, like I love to grind. I do. I make no bones about it. I do. I like putting in hours, and I like being around people who like to put in time and effort and have intensity behind it. And our culture brings a lot of that. And I think we walked into a culture that was, you know, it wasn't that. Okay, we all, being honest, and at the same time, want to be respectful of anyone and anything that comes before you, because I believe that's important. It's just different. It's two different philosophies, and it's two different cultures. So that collision isn't a kind and cuddly one. You know, that one's going to come with um, some pushback, but plenty of cooperation. It's going to come with attrition at some point in time. Um, But the percentage that um and it's hard it's hard it wasn't large but it wasn't zero enough it was big enough it was enough to establish a core right let's just say that a core that you can build off of and at the same time you know add some legitimate legitimate high level talent and start building it and piecing it together the right way because the you got to stack up the pieces in a way where you're still developing and you're not overstacking just talent
0: i think a lot of folks would be just fascinated as much as you can go into detail Of what it's like when you first take a job in your case you get to Miami like I said you've got what you've got you're talking about sort of the oil and water clash of we're going to do it one way maybe you're used to doing it another way you're not throwing any predecessor under the bus but how in your face do you have to get not just with your roster but with a lot of people because you talk a lot about not just fixing the downstairs where we are on this field but fixing the upstairs too I mean, I, don't, I know you well enough to know you don't shy away from confrontation when it's no. needed, when it even may sound mild-mannered right now, but not all the time. But at the same time, you, you know that you got to have enough to go to war with in year one. So Amen. how uncomfortable but necessary is that, I guess? I don't think it's ever uncomfortable because you're just, you're
1: genuine and you're real. And, and I still think the greatest form of respect you could give someone is to be honest with them and give them the truth, whether they want to hear it or not. That's the best thing you could do by someone, for someone, and First, the first thing I want to do is walk in the building and I want to walk into the locker room when no one was there because I wanted to see the type of pride that was taken in one's own house. Because that, that'll tell you a lot, you know, and, and right there, you know, I was, right away, there's a lot of work to be done. And with that, you know, you want to see what type of physical condition your team is in because if you're a college athlete, I mean, come on, man, it's, you know, you're still a young guy. I'm getting a little bit older. Not too old, you know, trying to hang with you sure. in the weight room or something else. But, um, you know, there's pride in what you are physically as well as mentally. How you do in the classroom, there's a level of pride um, in your culture where if it's really a culture, if it's really a strong and a very, um, just a championship level culture, how you do anything is how you do everything. There is no light switch that, okay, I'm going to turn it on when I'm practicing I'm going to shut it down when I got to go to class or when I have to make an appointment or when I have to be courteous and be respectful to someone. So the attack was, when I would say, the assessment. And then the, the directors were all geared towards culture, knowing that talent acquisition was going to take a whole year. You're just you're not going to be able to change things by much. So that's where we poured ourselves into. And I'm probably going off on a couple of different tangents, but that's what it's like. You, You have to, you have to say goodbye. That's number one, and that's tough. You had to say goodbye to people that were really good to you, um, a situation that I'll always be extremely grateful for. I mean, and we take a lot of pride in when we walked in the University of Oregon with with Coach Willie Taggart. You know, Oregon was coming off a four and eight season, and um, talent acquisition was struggling. And a few years later, we're you know you're playing for a Rose Bowl and you win a conference and you go to successive conference games. So um, that's hard to leave. It's hard to leave, but there was always one, and this was that one. And, and part of it, and I would say, I'll say a part that wasn't part of it, a, the part that wasn't part of it, it was that I'm from here. Yeah. The part that is really strongly ingrained in why and the reasons why I came back is I played here. I wore the U. I've got 11-plus you know zippers on my body due to surgeries, having played at the University of Miami um the community completely embraced us and we turned the entire mindset of the city the community of south florida and then nationally and so it was a game changer in my life and so my full belief is that miami done the right way is the best place on the planet so that's why we're back and, and back after having the experience at oregon having the experience at alabama at rutgers at fiu all those places so when you come in you want to bring in people a lot of your staff members all of a sudden got a head job or got coordinator opportunities. Even GAs and analysts became position coaches. So you've taken four or five years to assemble a really strong team and all of a sudden, it's gone. Right. But then you've got four days before the first signing day, <laughs> but you have no staff members in the house, and you got to say hello to your new team, and you got to figure out what's got to stay, what's got to go, and you got to figure out current staff members. There's, there's no handbook, and and no one should feel bad for anybody having to do sure. that, right? You know, we're compensated for doing that. Yeah, they don't feel bad for that. Yeah, and they shouldn't. It's just that your, your multitasking skills are going to be put to the test. And you better buckle up, and you better be ready for, you know, the right kind of Cuban coffee to keep you going 24-7. Right, and, I,
0: and I've experienced that down here. Yeah. And, and will before we leave here. <laughs> so you're talking about what Miami was. Right. You're talking about what... Not might be, but just what you think Miami will be again. Yes, sir. And flat out, there are a lot of folks out there who don't believe that's possible anymore. There are a lot of folks who just believe, by however they define it, college football has evolved, and so some of the programs that once were can't be again. I don't necessarily fall in that category, but I'm telling you it's a very popular talking point out there. I know to a certain extent in your line of work, you just have to block that out. But do you just let a little bit of it be an IV drip? Do you just let... Maybe 2% of that in to understand that, man, there are folks out here who totally think I'm full of it. Like, they totally think this is BS. There's no way we're going to be able to do this. Plus, when I walked in here yesterday, I mean, you said, hey. You said, how are you doing? You said, you know, this is it. I'm not going anywhere. This is it. It either works here or it doesn't work. Like, what's it like to, to maybe turn on the radio or maybe maybe refresh Twitter every now and then and just see folks, in some cases, totally doubt that this is possible?
1: That's like foreign languages to me. I mean, you got to realize I was, I was raised by two Parents that met here, came over from Cuba, learned the language, worked two jobs at day into the night, went to night school to learn the language and made sure we understand what the principles of working hard and taking care of your business really are. So we weren't silver spoon fed kids. We weren't uh, coddled or uh, given the soft and easy way. We we were taught how to grind and how to work and that carried over to a, a high school head coach was the best of the best, and Dennis Lavelle. I mean, that guy, I learned more from him, and so apply more from what we learn from him and what we do on a daily basis. So for us here, I think certain programs will always have a national grant. And the key to any program, right, usually falls in a three-pronged kind of pronged approach, right? Talent acquisition, player development, and personnel use. I believe what you said, no one goes back anymore in college football, and, and we don't think that way. I know way, shape, or form want to go backwards and, hey, like this was done or when I played here, that's never part of any conversation. The fact that I've had the opportunity to be away for 25 years, different stops, all of them rebuilds. One already was established well enough where that's not a rebuild, but sustaining a program at that level still is a great lesson. It's like getting a Ph.D. in some of this stuff. Um, It's really important to know that this is all about taking Miami into the future. That's why the contract was laid out the way it was. That's why into that we tied a facility that's going to be second to none, which has been missing for a long time. I mean, this was as much as I wanted to come back. um, I could not from a business standpoint until it was obvious and factual that Miami was really serious about heading into this decade At the level that everybody else is in the country, the top level teams. And every single budget line, every single, everything is itemized to the T Um, for the long haul that that's the way it's going to be. And that's the only way it can be and should be. So uh, all those things combined, plus the area, you feel the vibe in the city, you feel the vibe within the building. We don't BS each other in here. I don't BS this football team or our coaches. I just, I'm an offensive lineman, man. I mean, that's, uh, I was born and raised to be a worker and do things a certain way, and we don't believe in BS. And in terms of any noise that there might be, I, I don't know, and I don't think our team, our players, the people that we bring into the building, I don't think they'll ever care. Whoever does has got to go. I am talking about here or anywhere else. I don't live in that world. I live in that world where, where you saw, where we're up at the crack of dawn beyond that and stayed till late at night. That's the world that we live in. That's the only world we're going to stay in. It's a great group of guys it's a great i would say foundation plus one of what this place is to be and when you sign the top class in your um in your program's history and you're trending to do it again and top that one well now now it starts looking like the teams that have really dominated college football for the past several years the
0: mentality you're talking about is atypical most people don't think like that Mm -hmm. and Therefore, when last season gets here and then it starts to go downhill, the typical person looks at it in maybe a result-oriented fashion and they say, oh, they're not gonna finish with a good record. This season's terrible, it's a wash. You don't get to think like that because you've got hopefully decade plus down the road to where this is the here and now, but here's where we're headed. And it struck me now when you were doing some radio last year, even during the season, and you were just totally unfiltered. I don't think I'd heard you that way publicly, maybe privately, but not publicly. And you just ripped the Band-Aid off and you were like brutally honest about what is and what has to change and make no bones about it. We're going to get it there. When did you, I guess, when did you start to feel it from a result standpoint go a little bit south last year, Mm -hmm. and what was it like in the building around here? Because all we know is what it looked like from the outside.
1: Sure. No, I think whenever you have a season like that, it is tough. You know, you got to – I like to think about it this way. For the last 10 years, I've been part of either a national championship staff, a national championship game, a Rose Bowl game, a conference title, Um, and then for the first time in a long time was back to rebuild mode, and you had to go through the painful steps that you cannot skip, and they are hard. They are tough, and a job like this, at least at the beginning, is for tough-minded people. It really is, because people are going to, you know, I had, a, I had a boss say, people are going to show their ass, right? I don't think I could say that, kind of, whatever.
0: Pull we'll out.
1: You know, so people are going to show themselves when the blank hits the fan, and the truth always comes out in those situations, so... I, I look back at every single one of these opportunities that we have, whether it be at Rutgers getting beat eighty to seven at Virginia, that happened. West Virginia. People yeah. forget yeah. that that happened. Eighty to seven. I'll never forget the fake punt right before <laughs> halftime to further emphasize um, at West Virginia. I'll, I'll never forget being here in '97 as a GA, you know, and rebuilding the program. I'll never forget going to FIU, a team that had lost almost 20 straight games and having to start from scratch there on a team that was inheriting a five-year probation. Like, it just takes certain types of people to do that and surrounding yourself with certain types of people. And, and if there's any crack in them, I, people are going to feel it, right? So I, uh, we just, I don't know, maybe we're very fortunate. We had a great upbringings. I credit the parents, um, the mentors of all the young men and women in our program that are resilient and understand that this, you got to do this. Like, unfortunately, if you're not to a certain level, you need this. So that reality is very clear that we have got to build from here. Now, we just got to go just shut our mouths and go to work. There's nothing, you know, there's no other way around it. You just got to go do it.
0: No one ever, at least in my observation, no one ever takes over a program and then hires a staff and then everyone's just there for the first three years. You may have a nucleus, but it always feels like there's some turnover. Mm -hmm. You guys had turnover at the coordinator position, you had a chunk of your staff, which is normal, percentage-wise. You look across the sport, that's how it always happens. But I know each situation is unique. So you're talking about filtration and sort of putting the water pressure against the dam and finding out where the cracks are. From the outside, all we see is, at the end of the year, staff moves on. Mm -hmm. In the inside, sometimes you may know two weeks in probably need to address that down the road or maybe it's late november probably need to address that but you don't usually do it during the season you just got to make do until the end of the year what's that process like if no one in the back of your mind Mm -hmm. all right taking notes now but i can't really probably address that until december Mm -hmm. because that is obviously not an ideal situation to be in
1: sure and, and i think you owe it to a staff to give them enough time to at least show something unless it's just to the point where you know it's no longer fixable or that there is no improvement to be made or you're in part of the season where you could only hurt yourself even more, even if you know that it's not going to work. And I do believe this. I, I believe in respect. And sometimes you know a staff member is not going to work out. And sometimes they have an opportunity that might be better for their family. And sometimes it's time for them to move on. And I, at least philosophically, I believe in if that's the case, You always give someone an opportunity to find another opportunity and go get it you know i don't think there's nt i i don't think there's any any benefit of uh, a a public termination just so it's out there uh, when someone can maybe find another job when a move was going to be made anyways you know you want to give people an opportunity to continue their career not uh sometimes things don't fit you know we had we had coaches that were had some pretty strong accolades right? And all of a sudden it didn't work out. They moved on somewhere else. So I don't think uh, anyone or everyone becomes a bad coach overnight. Sometimes things just don't fit or the timing isn't right or the personnel doesn't fit the scheme and there's not enough adaptability or enough pieces to plug in. Every, Every single case is different. I do try to handle those respectfully while at the same time just finding whatever is best for the team and not compromising that part. If something has to be done, On the spot and swiftly because it is the best for the team then you got to do what you got to do
0: what you're describing is a different world but it's not too dissimilar sometimes to what we may deal with in the production world you may bring in a guy who you want to be a coordinating producer and he's got all the he's got all the boxes checked on his resume it just for whatever reason it's not a good fit now in my world what you'll probably do is along the lines of what you said probably give them a heads up not that they don't already feel it but you give them a heads up hey probably in your best interest, go ahead and put your feelers out. In your world, you would have an agent to do that through, whereas in our world, you're just having to elbow your way in yourself. Is that how you handle it? I mean, if, if you were to start feeling things going downhill, it, do you sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey, this is probably the direction we're going, or do you not even need to do that? Do guys just naturally feel it and understand, uh, probably on borrowed time here?
1: Oh, you tell them respectfully. You know, we don't hold back. You know, I don't think you make it personal because it never is. It shouldn't be unless someone makes it personal or uh, in the case someone egregiously, you know, violates policy and culture and and ethics. And you got to go at that really, really hard. But if not, you really try to always stay as professional as
0: possible and leave out the personal part. So as we're talking right here we got like alarms going off in the background, lightning in the area. And what's interesting is up until pretty recently down here, that would have just meant, all right, practice is over. Now we're sitting in an indoor, and yet we've also got ground about to break on new facilities that are even brighter and shinier than what we're in right now. Now I know if you had your way, we'd just put on hard hats and go pick up a shovel and let's get it done because you don't get the red tape, and I don't get the red tape either. When this project's finally done, what does that do to Miami football?
1: well number one jimmy johnson had to deal with somebody because it would lightning everywhere except on that practice field because we never had a single practice canceled (laughs) in all that time we haven't had the same deal or that same benefit so um yeah this is this is well underway um groundbreaking should be any day now it is a a fully funded and laid out project uh it is it's the nicest facility i've ever been a part of helping to design and it gives us everything and then some. It also gives you the ability to keep expanding the operation as well. And it's a necessity. You know, I think for years, prospects have just flown by and over Miami because and it's not just having a nice building. It's a nice facility, a modern facility with things that help increase performance. It's functionality. No doubt. And yeah. you know what it is? It screams investment. You're invested in my son. You know, you are going to do everything possible to make them Elite, so I think that part's gonna—it's gonna really it, now besides turning heads, it changes the mindset and the perspective of okay, Miami really is completely invested in, and and that's just part of it because it includes an expansion of the indoor and some other pieces. It is a monstrosity of a project, and it's—I'm uh, looking forward to. It. We could, you know, you got a crew here, man. We could start knocking <laughs> down some things and moving a tractor over if we if we can. You know?
0: Well, I mean, you open the building, and, and this is what we bring in here. We appreciate it. So there's a word that you like to use a lot, and the word is creature. Creature. And maybe when you came here, there were some creatures in the building, not nearly as many as you would have wanted. Mm -hmm. I've been down here about 72 hours by the time this airs, (laughs) and I've seen some high school creatures walk through the building. And without mentioning specifics, obviously, Mm -hmm. but sticking to generalities, I know that you got big weekends coming up, and this time of year now, it, 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 this used to be vacation time, right. and now it's like the heart of recruiting season because the way the calendar's changed. Everybody says they take recruiting seriously. I don't think, I mean, I've, I've been around the Georgias, the Bamas, and, and you've been around the Bama program. You did it at Oregon. It looks like it's happening again here. I mean, how razor-sharp is the focus day-to-day on recruiting and talent acquisition?
1: It is it's, it's part of, it's a way of life at this time of year and it really is um, it's an everyday thing you know I had one head coach just say you know it's like it's like brushing your teeth and combing your hair if you don't do it every day you're, you ain't gonna look very good you know you've got to do it all the time so but I've had good mentors as it relates to recruiting and, and I just believe in it I, I really want to know and get to know the people that are going to be on this team inside that locker room um, but you also got to combine it with player development and your own locker room and we do, you know, we split up the day where we're spending time with our guys, we're spending time on scheme, we're spending time on upcoming opponents, and we're spending time on recruiting. Just the days are a little bit longer in the summer than they used to be. And uh, you, there's the weekends, you're, you're working. There is no, hey, Friday comes around and there's some time off. You've got official visits, you've got unofficial visits, and everyone's fighting for these visits. So whenever you can get the guys on campus, you want to get them there and make sure you're available.
0: This, this whole thing you're talking about, fighting to get visits, is frankly not something that gets talked about a lot. I mean, everybody talks about you're battling Clemson or Georgia or Tennessee for a high four-star linebacker. They don't even talk about battling to get the visit. What goes into battling just to get guys on campus, and how well does it play into your hands that you're in Miami, Florida?
1: They have to meet certain criteria. Um, besides the stuff we see on film, the background check, he's got to be a real one off the field and he's got to possess the characteristics that that we're looking for in terms of work ethic toughness character everyone has their their stuff you know that's nothing um you know extraordinary you know or or anything that's um that's new but i you have to you have to make sure it fits and you also have to make sure there's a legitimate interest especially now right there's there's an unlimited visit you know new little addition to the ncaa rules so guys can visit as many times as they want, wherever they want, you want to make sure that you're never just a waste visit because you still have, you're subjected to 56 plus 6 left over. And you know, use the NCA at least last year, they were able to add some more at the end. So you still have to be selective as to when you get them, but you got to fight for them. And everybody, everybody wants the same guys, right? And then there's a couple guys that pop, and, and certainly those guys, when they do pop, it's the day and age of social media. Everybody finds out. Do you remember the days, I mean, back then, you can... There was no, what's that little device, the old uh, navigation, the uh, Magellan. Yes.
0: Oh, the Magellan, yeah. The old
1: Magellan, right? So even before that, there were just maps, True. right? And there was word of mouth, and there was a newspaper. And so you had to go and put in time and watch a guy practice, right? And you had to make sure when you called that school, the coach happened to be in the office because there were no cell phones, and you wanted to make sure you got there for a practice or for a workout. So those days are gone. You could stumble. You could you could secretly find an absolute stud right. and no one else knew about it. Now, the moment someone's offered, it's, you know, blessed to be offered by. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> I mean, you're, you're talking, you're talking about the computerization, essentially of recruiting. Yes. And you're talking It's like people talk about the computerization of medical records and what it did. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. But in your world, right. I mean, that's why you used to have so many diamonds in the rough. That's yeah. why there used to be these stories of kids that weren't on, like the parade all American list. Well, it's because they came from a high school with 56 in their graduating class, and they're from, like, the backwoods of Louisiana, and the LSU coaches knew about him, but no one else did. That's right. You're talking about the, the Everglades down here. The Miami coaches may have known about him. Howard Schnellenberger may have known about him, but no one else did. And it's, all, it's almost like if you knew the back roads back then in your territory and you were in a really hotbed for recruiting, you gave yourself a leg up, and now they're like P.J. Fleck, the head coach at Minnesota knows about the guys in South Florida that you know about. And so it's, it's not that maybe someone's on a different playing field. It's like the playing field's more level, and now you just got to go win recruiting wars. And like I said earlier, a lot of folks look at recruiting, and they say, oh, we, we want to go recruit South Florida. Mm-hmm. Everyone comes down here. Right. And I've, I've said on this show for a long time, everyone else is focused on like an expanded playoff to try and, try and even it out and inject parity. And I've looked at the teams that are dominating the playoff. And they all come down here and get a ton of talent mm-hmm. because the in-state schools, and Miami's been included, had not been keeping them at home. So from my math, and it could be a little shoddy, but from my math, you just keep your guys home, not all of them. You don't even have to get all of them. You keep more guys home, and all of a sudden, you landing one of them is also Ohio State not landing one of them. That's right. And it's, it's really crazy what, over the course of two or three cycles, that can do for parity and competitive balance in college football that's not even a question by the way i'm just tossing a statement your way
1: i, I think you're you're spot on i mean reuben bain coming to miami right. is a big deal you know
0: he wouldn't have he would not have been here two cycles ago is my unprofessional opinion
1: you know of ray ray joseph ray Ray was committed somewhere else within the conference you know before the staff arrived and just went at it hard because he's a dynamic football player nigeli kelly is like that damari brown Right, right up the road, he was headed, you know, towards some other schools, maybe in, in another conference. Um, Mark Fletcher, you know, you saw him today. I mean, these are Wesley Bassaint, I mean, I could go on and on. It, these guys, they're, they're game changers. And like you mentioned, it's, if you recruit the right guys, right, it helps you build a program, you have success. If you miss on that right guy, well, you better recruit a guy that's able to defuse him when you play that team. If you recruit the wrong guy, That guy beats you every single day not just once a year so it's about still getting the right guys like we had a study and looking at the national championship teams here and some were just just south florida laden they really were and then you looked at the 2001 team and you realize you know the the left tackle was from new jersey and the left guard was from pennsylvania and the center from he's going to claim he's from canada but he's right (laughs) there is outside of canada he's over in detroit and um and the right guard was from Iran and the quarterback was from California and all of a sudden that team was built differently but it was the right guys you know because it's like once they got here they became part of the culture so there's a little bit of give and take there Um, and as much as anything else is as making sure you keep local talent home it's got to be the right local talent and when you go outside you better get the right talent as well you got to have the right people that have the right mindset because if not that can hurt you more than anything that can hurt you more than missing on a good player.
0: We sat down with Shannon Dawson for like an hour the mm-hmm. other day. Felt like about 20 minutes, but he walked us through some of the spring game, and we specifically looked at Tyler Van Dyke. And it's obviously pivotal to have him coming back for another year. Mm-hmm. It's uh, obviously pivotal that when we were watching these offensive linemen out here work out earlier today, a number of them that will probably start mm-hmm. weren't here last year. Right. And so keeping him upright's is really important. But what's funny is Shannon Dawson comes in from Houston, mm-hmm. and everyone thinks Air Raid and I asked him, hey, coming out of spring, what stands out to you the most? And he said, I think we're gonna be able to run the ball a whole lot better. And that's not the sentence that you would expect to come out of an air raid guy's mouth, but then again, he also said, I mean, what does air raid mean? Really, what does it mean? You're talking about spread offense. What does spread offense really mean? There's so many different concepts to go into it, but to win at the point of attack and to be able to run the ball, when you think about the Mario Cristobal football philosophy, what does the ideal offense look like? Aside from scoring more points than the other team, how do you go about doing it?
1: You got to play with speed and power, and you got to be efficient. And you got to be able to control the line of scrimmage, go through people, around people, over the top of people. You got to be able to go fast when it's time to go fast. You got to be able to slow it down when it's time to slow it down. Um, but you've got to be able to take control of the game, and it starts up front. Um, then you really have to assess your talent, which I think coach Dawson and the office staff did a great job of doing to see what can you really do well to be adaptable enough to know that every year's team is going to be different um, and find out what they can do so you could practice that get good at it and then complement it with all your other stuff you know he he might come from the air raid tree but he is a very very diverse play caller he um, his menu uh, is very extensive. He has done what a lot of the air raid guys have done. They've gone around and they have taken in certain parts of the run game at different spots, and he does it and calls it and formations it extremely, extremely well. He understands backfield sets. He understands formations, the boundary as opposed to the field, how to affect you know support players, the back end, and how to help the quarterback in the RPO world. I mean, he is, he's an absolute stud, and what he does fits us really well because he understands that we're always going to recruit some really big, powerful offensive linemen. We're always going to have a strong running game. We have a talented quarterback and some talented young guys, and we're starting to get some legitimate speed outside. He's going to combine them all. He did that. Our guys love him because he's a great person. And when they sit with him, they can tell he knows what he's talking about. He made them better. These guys had a lot of success in the spring, and they know that we're going to push them even harder in the fall.
0: What were the, what were the things when you just did that brutal self-assessment of the entire last year before you guys went in the spring? hmm there are tons of areas of focus every position group has areas of focus but team overall defense offense special teams what were the core hammer home points these are non-negotiables these are where we got to get a lot better or we're going to suffer the same fate this next fall
1: up front you know we had a we struggled to run the football and uh we struggled to protect the quarterback at times um and again I I don't. I would never blame a certain player. What now? You got to put on everybody on our entire organization. You know, we got to scheme it better. You got to get better personnel. You have got to develop better in the weight room. It just. It didn't look like what. Um, it's. It's not what we do. You know, but we have to own it because that's what we ended up playing like. Uh, that's how we ended up coaching it. So with us, it started up front. That was a complete non-negotiable on both sides of the ball. Um, we had to make sure that from a physicality standpoint that our second-level defenders had to be knockback tacklers. Felt like, you know, when it was a short-yarded situation, we weren't, we weren't getting enough push on the offensive side we were getting knocked back a little bit on the defensive side. And we were more of a, of a drag-down, you know, tackling operation than a knockback tackling operation. Um, and then to continue to, I would say, just be a little bit more complex, you know, on the back end, to make sure that when teams got in certain alignments, certain formations that we weren't as predictable, to be able to give our guys a chance and not always be, you know, in similar looks. Now, I get it, that's part of year one. You've gotta be a little bit vanilla so you can get to stuff that, uh, that's part of your base, you know, uh, foundation to get that installed. But uh, I think the diversity, uh, the multiplicity, I should say, of Coach Guidry and what he does, as well as Coach Dawson, is gonna be hard to prepare for. You know, they're humble dudes, but they grind. And how they do things, their explanations are easy to learn, but I think hard to defend. Our guys have enjoyed them so far.
0: How oftentimes do you use places you've been as reference points for your staffers and for your players? You, I mean, you were on probably the deepest coaching staff I've ever seen in Alabama in the mid 20 teens. You went up to Oregon, you guys had Pac-12 championship teams up there, Rose Bowl teams and so you could if you wanted to go in your bag and say here's the way i've had it before here's what it's looked like when i've won before and we're not there yet i just want to illustrate to you how wide the gap is between where we are now and this right here this is where we need to be do you ever pull that out or you just define the standard and let them know when they're not there different starting points again i think i think the oregon piece has a lot of
1: similarities because that was a four and eight team that we took over uh FIU was probably a similar one, you know, as well. Um, the Bama one was already, that would be a model of more of sustaining or reclaiming a title and then sustaining it or whatnot. But there's, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, I think there's probably a dozen teams that practice the same way. If you went and got the practice script, you would see the exact same periods, right? You'd see your, your blitz walkthrough to your flex period to – your 15 minutes of indie to your seven-on-seven seven run to your five-on-four pass rush, your t- you'd see the same stuff. And that stuff works. You can't bypass that at all. And I think, I think even thinking that way is, is dangerous and detrimental to a program. You have to practice in a physical manner to be a physical football team. You don't put your team at risk by doing stuff that's not intelligent, stuff doesn't help your team get better. But to play a certain way, you got to practice a certain way, and we believe in that okay and we're going to be a line of scrimmage operation so there the carryover is real instances examples are real the stories are phenomenal (laughs) you know you can't i can always i can't get into those here that's for sure but you live and learn man there's some unbelievable moments and experiences you're super thankful for them you take them and you move on
0: what what motivates you professionally and personally what motivates you
1: oh man I've, i've always been motivated for by competition i just I've always loved it, man. I I, just—I credit my parents. I don't know what they did. I mean, I'm—you know—I'm the kid that, you know, when they had you at church and you know they tell you to pray and you're you got your you're squeezing your hands and you're you got your eyes real. It'll be the most
0: white knuckle prayer in the building.
1: Well, when you when you're in there, you're doing that, and then your mom's like, "Wow, you're you're a good kid. What are you praying for?" I'm I'm praying for the Pittsburgh Steelers (laughs) and the Hurricanes to win. It's like whack backhand, you know. Like I've always loved it. I've always lived and died for football. I I love football because I love football. I there's that's that's my football why people have their why it's I love everything about it the discipline the toughness the way it'll knock you back knock you down and make you like really get back up and really go forward and have the support of your team sometimes sometimes not sometimes you got to figure it out on your own so I'm all about it I'm all about the life-changing opportunity that it is for these guys and it really is and if I wish you could come with me today as we go into the inner city with about 50 players and we and we coach and host these these camps because you're going to see at least 50 superstars 50 future nfl superstars out there that they don't look six and seven years old you know they are they're moving fast and they're playing strong and the pride in the community well man this is this is where i was born and raised okay this is this is not just a, a shirt that you know hey this is the next job and here's a shirt you've got to wear when you're on a camera. This thing is, 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 is in the blood. And is that part of the motivation? Oh, hell yeah. It's, it always will be. Um, but there's, there's everything to work about, and there's not much to talk about as it relates to that. we got to go to work. And every day we change things in a positive manner, a little bit more and more. Um, so anyways, that's another tangent for you right there. But today, grassroots recruiting, I want those guys when they're this tall, we're in hurricane gear. So when they're this tall, I'm going to do all these official visits, man, that just come yeah, right just over. come
0: on up here. What was funny is <laughs> you guys had a building full of young kids in here yesterday, all the way from, like, oh, yeah. first grade to sixth grade. And right as you were walking down that staircase, you said, hey, the first grader's Okay. There's some fifth graders down there. Have you seen that fifth grader over there? And it's oh, yeah. funny how, I mean, I'm looking at you, and I'm kind of laughing, and you, you do have a smile on your face, but it's one of those serious <laughs> smiles where, no, you can tell that kid right there is going to be good. It's going to be like half a decade from now before we, he's ever on our radar able to visit here, but it's funny how you can see some of that stuff really early on because there were some legitimate, like, elementary school, middle school athletes in here yesterday. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: down here, football is life. It is, you know. You talked to Shannon Dawson, and, I, and I'm glad you did, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. It's like Miami with an exciting offense is a really powerful thing and a powerful brand. There are so many unbelievable athletes down here, and, and they've, been, they've been screaming for this for a long, long time. And that's why Shannon and that hire is so important. He's, he brings that explosive offense and the details that go with it while at the same time Having the NFL development aspect that goes with that so that guys know, hey, I'm just not in a high-octane college offense. I'm in, a, in an offense that's going to teach me professional concepts and help me develop. And the, the amount of momentum and excitement that that is stirring up and will stir up as we get better and better and we got to prove it on the field and the confidence that you build with that, the trust you build with that, I mean, that's, that's very powerful. I'm glad you got to sit in there with him. I mean, that that – Parlays into, right, a great defensive class because great players want to play with great players.
0: Um, well, you just went and raided Louisiana, essentially. You just went and found the best two dudes you could find from Louisiana, D.C., O.C., let's go to work. It's a, it's a unique culture in Louisiana, too. I know you're not from there, but when those guys sort of get in a room together, I've witnessed sure. it before. When those Louisianans get in a room together, you, they can go. you just kind of sit back. You just kind of put your feet up on the desk. You don't understand, like, 30% of the words, mm-hmm. but it's okay. You just kind of pick up things as you go yeah. along. But those, those two dudes, I mean, I don't think most people realize that they're both from the same state. Yeah. And that we're not talking about, like, New Orleans either. Mm-hmm. We're talking about rural Louisiana, and it's always funny because, in a sense, there's, there's this blue-collar kind of culture from there that you see from certain parts of this city as well. Well, it's,
1: it's kind of like we talked about great players want to play with great players. They did know each other a little bit, and when we hired one, the other one wanted to come. Right right away and that was that was really neat you know I mean at the end of the day these guys are really they're they're high-level professionals they're great people I mean they're people you want to hang out with they're people you're, you're going to trust your own son with you know and they get after it now I mean these guys are they're they're ball junkies and you got to have that and if you walk the hallways of the University of Miami football um, the, the building what you're going to see is a reflection of the city you know if you've had a chance to, to walk around the city this is the most diverse city maybe in the world. We come in all kinds of shapes, sizes, and colors, ethnicities, and language. And if you walk upstairs, you'll see America and Samoa in one office, right? You'll see Miami, Florida in the other one. Like you mentioned, you'll see Louisiana, you'll see North and South Carolina, you'll see people from all over the place. And like here in this city, I'm being raised here, like that is really cool. And even as a father, it was important for me to get my family here so they could experience that. Yeah. That's really important, man. The world should be like that, right? I mean, I'm not going to get into some type of philosophical speech here, but I think that's important. I think that's important for your team. These guys, one day, are going to be in the workforce or in an NFL locker room that is as diverse as it gets as well, and it needs to be something that they feel not only comfortable with, but that they can excel in, right? And they feel that they can feel that they can enhance. So that's all part of of Miami. All
0: right, so pretend like you and I are not going to talk again before you guys play in week one. What can this team be this year? You've seen spring so far. Mm-hmm. And we got some summer conditioning happened. We're a couple of months away from fall camp. What can this team be this year?
1: You know, and I know that's not an ask for a prediction, but it almost kind of treads on those lines. Sure. Yeah, I, I, if you want
0: to go over that cliff, I'll, I'll gladly stand no. back and let you go over the cliff. <laughs>
1: no. It's polished that we never do. I know that this team is getting on a course to what we want to build it to be. I don't, it's not a cop-out of an answer. Right. I just don't get into that. I know... We all know what Miami can be, and we all know what Miami should be. And we know internally the steps that have to be taken for it to get there. We've taken a really significant step this offseason. And honestly, we just got to shut our mouths and go to work. I don't – like everything else outside of that, you know. Like for us, it's an honor to have you here. It really is. Your whole crew here, we thank you for that. We just – like I'm – I told you before, I'm the most – Boy, human being on earth, man. I don't do much. I don't, I'm not in attracting attention. This crew right here, knowing where Miami has to go, all the things that we're doing, the enhanced nutritional aspect, uh, the sports science guys, the mental health uh, specialists that are in the building, the staff, the analysts, the type of recruiting that we've done, the type of body types that are in the building right now, the progress is very strong and it's tangible. It's significant. And... We've got to keep working our reality into existence. We just got to work, brother. You're going to see a hard-working, resilient, tough team that needs to keep working and keep getting better. And the results, that has to be proven on the field. I'm not even going to talk about what that has to be like. We know the end game. we got to work to
0: get there. There's an incredible energy in the building. Um, we go to a lot of them, and so there's a lot of basis for comparison. You're in a bubble, actually. You've been out in the world as a staffer, but you're here in Coral Gables every day. We're all across the country. And trust me when I say there's unique energy in this building. And so I almost relish the fact that, you know, anytime we do a segment on Miami, we got some folks who believe in them in the comment section. We got some folks who doubt in the comment section, which is college football. It's all it's ever been. But we appreciate you opening your doors to us. Um, staff treated us like family. I think some of us may just not leave. You got enough open offices in the building where we may just hang out here. But you guys
1: but- feel because you're tough. You know, like I got are. a chance to watch this crew. A lot of crew, us are, yeah. Right, look at the crew. They're all flexing right now because they all went in there. They grinded out a workout. They got some, like, to be in Miami in any way, shape, or form, if you're in the sports world, you got to be tough. And if you're affected by the external stuff, you got no chance. You shouldn't even be around, what's you know?
0: a, What's amazing is when you go in that weight room, yeah. you've got the records on the wall. Mm. Some of them are recent. Some of them are from the 80s. Right. Some of those guys have not had their records touched mm. since they were walking around here in the 80s and 90s and it's, it's really wild to think about the dudes who walked around here before you had advanced nutrition, before you had sports science. No one even put those two words together. And there were some dudes who just came from South Florida in many cases who were born like that and then came here and grinded and ate like a dozen scrambled eggs in the morning and went to work. And there's some impressive numbers in there.
1: Well, you see, there's a lot of guys up in there. You see Ed Reed and Edgar and James. Dan Morgan, Bryant McKinney, you'll see some hanging in the rafters here. That class, those two classes, that was the, the class that was that came about after a five and seven season. Typically, you know, I like to think that you, you do your best work as a competitor when your back's against the wall and you wanna you wanna come out of there and you want to be not only successful but significant for your teammates, for the people around you, for your community. Okay. I'm telling you, the, Miami being a difference maker in my life and the things that go with it and this community is the reason why we left all that behind to come here and work this back to what it needs to be by going forward. And I think those guys, and these guys are here very often, you know, and they don't talk about, hey, back in the day, I, I think that's, when you do that, I think you're, it doesn't help anybody. Right. What they do is they help these guys think forward. How are you going to do it? You know, what's your blueprint? How are you getting extra work? What, what type of extra time are you spending around the coaches, watching a film, rounding up your teammates, making sure they're taking care of their bodies? So that's like the infusion right now that's going on in the building.
0: Mario Cristobal, we appreciate it, brother. Appreciate you, man. <sighs> what a week. How about 50-plus minutes with Mario Cristobal there? They, they basically opened their doors to us More so than 80% of my family would open their doors to me right now. Uh, Everybody top to bottom in the organization kind of set the standard for what uh, we would love to experience on the road. And we've been on the road for the better part of three years now. And so we understand when it is and isn't done right. And they've done it right for us here at Miami Cam. And the guys, especially behind the scenes, have made the trip well worthwhile. Food kind of still full from two nights ago. And entertainment's been top notch. If you've been following on the socials at Late Kick Josh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, got a, a crew seemingly of thousands here that have made this trip possible. But I'm telling you now, we talked about it in that interview, and I'll stress it one more time. There's a lot that we say on this show about the difference between cannot and have not. And there are a lot of people out there who say things cannot happen in certain places. Things that have been before cannot happen again. I don't classify Miami as that. I would look at Miami and say, no, they have not been for a couple of decades now. I get it. We got a huge college audience. If you're 18, 19, 20 years old, You don't know what they're talking about you may have seen little little flashes every now and then they played notre dame a couple of years ago place was packed you saw like a a little firework you haven't seen the dynamite you haven't seen like that logo strike fear in people's hearts they haven't done that in your lifetime but once upon a time they did and when we look around this building we've been in for the better part of 72 hours and you look at some of the folks coming in the big recruiting class we talked about earlier they got coming in this weekend could be fun times ahead. I don't know that I would necessarily use that term to describe how the rest of the ACC may feel about it, but fun times ahead for the people here at Miami. We appreciate you guys being tuned in. As always, uh, you make us able to do these sorts of things. Appreciate Good greet moving. Appreciate Academy Sports and Outdoors. And most of all, the crew here that makes this possible that you don't see behind the desk. Got Gelby here, Dane's here, Nick's here, Sam's here. Stoney's been all around the building. Gigi, you don't ever get to meet Gigi, but. We appreciate all of Mario as well. We'll be back in Nashville Sunday night. We're going to head to L.A. next week. So we've got a full docket, part of what I guess we could call the no-off-season tour in lieu of coming up with whatever our tour name is going to be called this fall. So until Sunday night, for Director Colin Producer Jesse back in Nashville, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening.